there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who think God is speaking to us, and then there are those who don't. Those who think God has provided truth and revelation and direction and wisdom and comfort and salvation and etc., and then those who think we are pretty much on our own, just feel your way through and figure it out, is the motto. But running blind has never been a very wise option, a very wise way to live our life. Um, as I was preparing for this a few weeks ago, this picture was very popular in our culture. Uh, it's, the, it's Sandra Bullock from the movie Bird Box, I believe. I've not seen it, not endorsing it, but the picture's floating around, right? We've all seen this picture floating around of this blindfolded lady and her family, and, and for whatever reason, she's blindfolded. If it's a story that she's trying to keep away from bad things that'll happen to her if she sees them, and um, And yet, it has inspired a little bit of a craze in our culture where people have decided to do the bird box challenge. Don't do that either. I'm not endorsing that either. Um, But people have decided to blindfold themselves and do all kinds of things, from simple things to just walking through their houses uh, to driving cars. Um, None of those things are wise, right? Blindfolded, right? Uh, Those are things that are dangerous, things that have gotten people's cars wrecked, gotten people injured, all kinds of things that have pushed um, even the people that produced Bird Box, the Netflix people to say, hey, please don't do that at home. Uh, That was not meant to be done outside of the context of a controlled environment. And so, uh, but going through life blind is never a good thing. And I like to look at maybe this generation and say, what in the world are people thinking? But I happened as I was thinking about this, I remember my friend CW, way back when I was a kid, um, we had a youth group event at my house, and this was way long before uh, TV had barely been invented, kids, and so this is a long time ago, and uh, we uh, had a youth group event, and it was one of those games where you blindfold the first person in line, and they kind of have to listen to the voices of their teammates to run down to an obstacle, either pick something up or do something, I forget what he had to do, he had to do something, and then listen to our voices coming back. Now, the, the gr- leaders of the game had a great game. It was a fun time, except we, the starting line, finish line, was right at our house, right, where that wall of the house was, right? And C.W. was a fearless young man, and uh, he took off flying. He got to where he needed to go, and instead of just listening to people, he just went out on a full-fledged sprint back to his teammates, which his teammates appreciated until he got to the finish line and didn't stop and, and just wham right into the wall of my house. And, and I thought, just a reminder, that, that going through life blinds is never, never a good, good idea. And so when you and I think about life and how we live life and how we process and make our way through life, I wonder from God's perspective if he ever just looks down at us, and I'm sure sure he does look down at us, and see the picture I just had up there a moment ago, just people going through life blind, and he's thinking, you all need some direction, you all need some guidance. You need some truth. You need some light for you on a path because you are blinded to so many things in life. And I think that's why he has communicated with us. I, I think that's why he's given us a word. And there's a chapter in the Bible that celebrates that act of God giving us a word. It's Psalm 119. And when you look at that chapter, if you were to open up your Bible and kind of let it fall open to the very middle, it's a very good chance it's going to come right to that chapter. It's a huge chapter, 176 verses long, by far the longest chapter in the Bible. Um, And yet from beginning to end, all 176 verses 
continue to go back to the theme of uh, we are grateful. I'm grateful that God has given light. He has given a word. And then how do we live that out? What does that do for us? How do we process that and live in light of that? And so that longest chapter in the Bible of 176 verses, they're broken down into eight verse stanzas, uh, divided by eight, by eight um, paragraphs that result in 22 sections. Each one of those 22 sections um, begins with a letter that goes perfectly with the Hebrew alphabet, which had 22 letters. And so it's very much like us saying from A to Z, this little uh, mnemonic device, this memory device is given to the people of, of the Hebrew culture to say, I want you to learn this and know this, and I want you to appreciate the height and the depth and the width and the beauty of this revelation that God has given to us. And so this psalm, that if you're doing that little plan where you read a chapter a day in your Bible reading, when you come to Psalm 119, you kind of cringe. It's like, I'm going to be here for a long, long time because this is a long chapter. And sometimes it seems like it repeats itself. And sometimes you have maybe a few thoughts of, I'm not sure what this person's talking about a little bit. But in, mostly, it's just this beautiful reflection of what it means for God to have given us his word. And so over the next couple of weeks, I hope that we will grow in our appreciation, in our confidence, and in our love that God has spoken to us through his word, that God has given us a book. Again, if you grew up in the church, that's not new. There's nothing rocket science about, hey, there's a Bible. But man, the minute that you stop appreciating the fact that God has communicated and given you a word is the moment you're going to begin to disconnect from the heart of what that word is trying to do in your life. And so over and over again, this Bible, your Bible, points you to, um, to God's word and the beauty of it. And not just the beauty of it, but the power of it. You see, it uses lots of synonyms to get you thinking about God has spoken. And there, I've got a list of nine, eight, nine words that as you read through Psalm 176, if you begin to categorize them, every time a reference is made to God speaking to us, these different words that are used in things like law. And again, I don't know... I. I don't know if you've ever read, an, read a law book or a rule book of any kind. You may like to read the rules for a game. You get a brand new game for Christmas, you like to read the rule book. Some of you do, but most of us like, let's just get on with the game because the rule book is what? It's, it's boring. Nobody likes to read rules, right? You get out your, if you study for a driver's test, I don't need that. Let's just, just go drive. We'll figure it out as we go, right? The policeman will stop me if I do something wrong. And so rule books are never very fun, whether they're legal or, or otherwise, and so when the Bible uses the idea of law, it's not just talking about a, a dry, cold um, rule book. It's talking about teaching. It's a command of the idea that the book of the law is all about Moses, the first five books of your, of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that story of God speaking to us for the very first time in the life of Moses in Israel. So it uses the word law, it uses testimonies, it's the idea of bearing witness that God is speaking to us about something that is true that he wants us to know, about ways, we'll see that word here in a second. His precepts comes to the idea of, of something that we should pay very close attention to. To. Our statute is the idea of something engraved in stone, or commandments is like a straight authority of what is said, right? Uh, verse uh, number seven is judgments and ordinances. And verse, another one is uh, 23 times is the word word is used. And over and over, other words are included in that list of, of, of just this long list of references that this book continues to remind you that God has spoken into our world and he's trying to speak to you. 
And so you have a choice. You can live as if God has spoken and you can engage that communication or you can choose to go through life blind and just feel your way and figure it out as you go. But Psalm 119 is inviting you not to just know things. That's fine if you know some trivia, know some things about the Bible, but it is much deeper than that. God is inviting you to be changed because what is the basis of, of all of our relationships? It's, it's the ability to communicate, right? If, you put, if you've ever gone to a foreign country, if you've ever gone into a culture where you don't speak the same language as another person, that is a very hard place to, to relate to each other. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're saying. You don't know what I'm thinking or saying. And it's hard for us to build a relationship and it's even harder for us to cooperate in anything. For example, go back to the, I think it's Genesis 12, uh, or Genesis 11, I guess it is, where the Tower of Babel story is told for us. At that point, everybody can, can communicate, they can talk to each other, they can relate, and so they can cooperate. And so what does God do to thwart their plans of, of getting rid of him? He confuses their language. And when they can no longer communicate, they can no longer relate, and they can no longer cooperate. And so chaos begins to develop around them, and, and he kind of thwarts their evil plans in doing that. And so as you and I think about this, I just want us this morning to read the first two of those little eight-verse paragraphs. We're going to read verses 1 through 16 of Psalm 119, and then we're going to make some thoughts that if you are going to be a person in, in this next few weeks who is going to really not just read God's Word, that should be something we should do, but really read it, engage it, allow it to speak and to change and to comfort and to challenge and, and just do the work in your life that God really wants it to do. There are some, some characteristics, some habits, some, some heart uh, attributes, I think, that are present in these verses that will help us to get to a good place in that reading. Matthew Henry was, is an old commentator from many, many, many years, decades, centuries ago, and he once made this observation that if you were to take the 176 verses of Psalm 119, and if you were to just pick one a day and just meditate on that one verse a day, um, what you're going to find is you're going to go through the psalm twice in a year, and what you're going to find is it's going to just enrich your ability to know and to relate to all the other things in Scripture because there's so much stuff packed into these 176 verses. And so, let's start um, uh, here and read our text, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 119. And then you'll notice up in the top left corner, if you have a Bible, you'll notice that the Hebrew alphabet is up there, right? So this is the first letter alphabet, Aleph, um, that uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I'll say that wrong. Forgive me, Michael. Okay, very good. All right, and so I got a thumbs up from the Hebrew scholar back there. And so uh, Aleph is the first letter, uh, letter A in their, in their Hebrew alphabet. And so if we were reading this in Hebrew, the first letter would have started with the letter A or Aleph, okay? And so it says this, how happy or blessed, your other translations may say, how happy are those whose way is blameless, and all of a sudden, I've lost some of you, right? Because like, my way is not blameless, right? Nobody came here today. I just took communion because I know my way is not blameless. And so am I disqualified? But listen to the heart of what he's talking about. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who live according to the Lord's instruction. In other words, he's inviting you to stop about for those who, who pursue a blameless life by God's definition of that, who pursue the Lord's instruction to live by that. There is a happiness, a blessedness that begins to fill that life. He goes on to say, happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their hearts. 
They do nothing wrong and they follow his ways. In other words, as, as you listen to the, what God says, as, as you um, encounter God's commands, laws, teaching, his precepts, and you obey them and you do them, you're going to find your life growing in so many ways. They do nothing wrong. They, they follow his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be kept diligently. And so God says, you know what? Here's my law. Here's my word. They're not just good advice. I expect them to be kept and obeyed. And so he introduces that whole idea of happiness to us. But then reality sets in as the writer continues to write in verse 5. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes. In other words, God, you command your things to be kept. But if only, if only I could do that. If only I did it, right? If only I could, I could keep, if I was committed, as committed to keeping your ways as, as you are, as c- commanding us to keep them, but uh, there's a gap there. Then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. He goes on, I will praise you with a sincere heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes, never abandon me. That's an important little phrase at the end, right? And we'll come back and unpack that just real quickly here. This is the second letter. The next one goes on to letter B for their Hebrew alphabet, the letter bet. Um, how can a young man, he asked the question, okay, if this is the way it is, right? God wants me to obey these things. I'm struggling. So how do I keep my way pure? Well, I do it by keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Lord, may you be praised. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from, my ma- from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And so there's two of the 22 little paragraphs that each one connected to the Hebrew alphabet. And we're introduced to a theme there, right? We're introduced to a theme of a person who who sees God's authority and that God's word, again, is not just some random thing. It's just a good little piece of advice to make me feel good. It's something that should be listened to because who is speaking to me? God. God is speaking to me. And if the God creator, Lord of all being of the universe is speaking to me, my posture toward that ought to be one of, okay, I'm going to listen to that. There's authority in my life that comes from that word, that, that I surrender to that authority, I should say. And so in doing so, what, what happens? What are those five things on your outline you'll see? Um, it's a busy outline. I don't know if we're going to get through all those things, but just let me give them to you, and, and you can think about that and, and meditate is the word of the passage here, and think about that. And I think as we pursue these, these five words I'm going to give you, I, I think if you were to read your Bible with this kind of heart, what you're going to find is, is real growth, real change, real knowledge, and, and love for God, and love from God begins to pour into your life. And so I hope there's some heart attitudes that you will bring to the reading of God's word uh, in the future uh, for you. The first one is this. I, I think it begins, that, again, that verse one, happy, happiness. There's a happiness that he is pursuing, that the writer, who is probably David, doesn't say anywhere in the text, but a lot of scholars think it's David, that the psalmist is pursuing this happiness. Now, I, I, don't, I almost didn't use this word because I don't like it in this context as much, but the path to win, and I put it in quotes, God's way, right? And yet that forces us to ask the question, what does it mean to win at life? 
And that's probably a good question for us to ask because how you define winning is however you're going to organize your life, right? If winning is having the biggest bank account I probably possibly can, then everything is going to pile up to say this is what winning is. If winning is being popular and famous, then I'm going to arrange everything that's going to lead me to win. But if winning, according to this psalm, is, is this being right with God, is listening to the God creator that has made me, who has given me life, and he speaks into my world. Winning is being right with that God, then everything else in my life is going to begin to line up to get me to that. And so when I talk about happiness, I'm not talking about some shallow, superficial, temporary thing that the world so oftentimes offers us and promises us. If you buy the new whatever, the newest phone, the newest house, the newest car, the newest clothes, the newest gadget, the newest this, if you have that, you'll be happy. But what is that happening? It is fleeting, like the snow outside. It is quickly going to melt, praise God, and be gone from our, from our yards and our driveways, right? It will be gone because it's fleeting, that's not the happiness that I'm talking about when, when, the psal- when the psalmist writer comes and says, happy is the person who, whose way is blameless, who live according to the Lord's instructions. This is something more, much deeper than that. There is a deeper happiness that we are being offered and that the psalmist is pursuing. It's this deeper happiness that's an inside out kind of happiness, not the outside in. It's this happiness that says, you know what, I don't, know, I don't care what's going on around me, But on the inside, when God is speaking into my life, and from a heart-soul level, I am connecting, I am listening, I am in dialogue, I am being changed by that voice, there is this happiness, there is this blessedness that begins to fill and to radiate out of my life. The Bible, other places, calls it as a sense of peace, right? There's this peace that fills me because I know I'm right with God. I'm listening. I'm diligently trying to love and to live for that God and what he has said to me. And yet, that daily, we have to decide, okay, what am I living for? What's the win in my life? Later on, Psalm 119, verse 35 and 36, these are some of my favorite verses in this passage when it says this, God, in in a prayer, would you turn my heart to your decrees and not to material gain. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. In other words, lead me away from worthless things. Give me life in your ways. So what's the struggle? The daily I've got to ask, am I living for the things that really matter? Being right with God, valuing the things that God values, living my life in a way that honors and pleases Him? Or am I living for worthless things? We can all get caught up in that, can't we? Just pursuing, being worrying, being uh, committed and investing so much of our life to things that ultimately will not matter. And so the prayer of, of the psalmist is, God, would you please turn my heart to your decrees and turn my eyes away from worthless things. And I love the idea of the eyes, right? Because where does the heart start? The heart follows where the eyes go, right? And if I'm continually drawn by my eyes to see, hey, that new shiny thing or that new promising person that's not gonna lead me towards God's decrees, those are worthless things that God uh, is not gonna bring me ultimate happiness that, that God is trying to get to. So the psalmist comes and he offers and invites us to pursue what real happiness is, right? So happy is the person who pursues that, 
But then again, you get to verse 5, and what does the psalmist realize as he begins to list that, God, if, if I was to really follow after you, if I was to really commit myself to your way, how happy and full my life would be. But then you get to verse 5, and I love the reality that he lives with. It's this idea of humility is our second word, that humility, that the weight of our own personal weakness begins to set in. Because yes, I know if I was to live my life ideally and perfectly in obedience to God, how happy would I be, right? How happy would my relationships be? How happy would I be in my life? But just knowing I'm right with God, I'm striving to be right in the world, and I'm striving after happiness. But what happens is that our own personal weakness keeps us from being that, we all experience that, right? We all live with a level of, I know I should be, but I'm not. I don't live up to what I know I should be in my life. And so humility is the response of the psalmist writer. It's not arrogance. It is not a, and, and this is one of those important parts of this passage, that sometimes when people get the impression of people who maybe know their Bible really, really well, um, but there's this sense in which it's just, it produces arrogance in them because they think they're better than you because they keep some of the commandments better than you keep them. And that is a far, far distant attitude than what the psalmist is showing to us when he says, let humility be the thing that comes out of your life when you recognize here's God's law and here's my keeping of God's law. Of what he says, if only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed. Where does shame come from? Shame comes from knowing I don't live up to a standard that I should be living to. There's shame that comes from that. Then I wouldn't be ashamed when I think about your commands. And so humility then leads us, number three, just to cry. I love the last part of that little, little paragraph when he says, never abandon me. It's the phrase this of help me. Um, it's help me, right? That there's this pursuit of happiness in godly terms that produces a humility that says, God, I, I fall far short, but I'm gonna commit myself to be all that you want me to be, but I can't do this unless you stay with me. So that little phrase, never abandon me. Don't leave me alone in this journey. I need you, God, because I can't do it myself. And so there's that desperate plea for God, would you please help me? And then he ends to the fourth one is this. So he, that, that drives him. God, if you're going to help me, I want to keep this hunger. And all throughout this passage, what you find is this continual hunger for God's word. And if I could pour anything into my own life, into your life from these next few weeks, is just the hunger for God and his word that just pours out of these verses, right? It's this hunger that, that the way I choose to pursue God, and he asked the question in chapter 8 and 9, it's not 9 and 10, excuse me, he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? And I can't help but think maybe he had Joseph in mind. Remember, he would have known of Joseph's story. Joseph's a young man who was faced with all kinds of temptation as he was uh, done unjustly and tempted by Potiphar's wife and all the things that you read in Genesis of his story. And yet, step by step by step, he keeps on the right path. The, the word way he keeps a way that is in line with God's way. His way and God's way are, are just parallel to each other because he's listening to God's way and he's allowing God's way to say, okay, if, if this is the way God wants me to live, then I want to live right in line with that. I don't want to stray from that. It, don't let me wander, right? What is sin? It's to wander from God's way of being and doing in life. And so there's that hunger that he says, you know what? I want to know that. And by keeping your word and knowing your word, I am seeking you with all my heart. There's this hunger that he has. And finally, it's kind of the thing I want to finish with and challenge us with here this morning. It's simply the habit of hiding, 
Um, the habit of hiding. Um, here's what I mean by that. I, I love what verse 11 says. And you, if you went to church camp as a kid, this is always one of those memory verses you had to learn. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. So how do I live a life that stays in line and parallel with God's way? I've got to hide his word in my heart. I've got to put his truth, his word, his precepts, his laws, all of the things, he's, his story, I've got to hide that in my heart. I've got to get that inside of me. And that doesn't happen once. That is a daily learning, the daily working of filling our hearts with God and his truth in our life. And so... I have hidden, I have held it in my heart. And, and he goes on to talk about the process that he was going to do that. He talks about, my lips will proclaim it. I rejoice in the ways revealed by your decrees. I will meditate on them. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And so they are engaging themselves intentionally in a process of learning God's word. And so one of the things that I don't do nearly as well as I should um, because sometimes we're, we're, we live in a culture where my Bible is readily available, and if I want to find a verse, I can just search it and have it in 30 seconds on my phone or on my computer. And so we don't go through the process of learning, of memorizing, of committing to ourselves to, to learn and know Scripture like we, we should, or I should at least. I will speak for myself only. And so I've committed myself in this time to, to kind of grow in this. And I'm inviting all of us to be a part of that. I've got a thing that I, I, if you are here last week, we talked briefly about it at the end of service. It's just simply the Psalm 119 challenge, right? Now, I, what I'm inviting you to be a part of, right? Psalm 119 is a long, long chapter, 167 verses. And I could challenge you over three or four weeks to memorize that yourself. But that would be challenging. But there's probably a go-getter out there somewhere who's going to do it. And praise God, we'll, like I said, we'll give you the stage. You can quote it for us all, and that'll be awesome. But I'm guessing most of you will not do that if that's what I challenge you to do. And so what I'm asking you to do is for you as an individual, or you with a friend, or you as a family, or you as whoever you want to define that, uh, to commit to learning just four verses. I think that's doable. Right? That's a bite size, right? I, even I can do that right and so we can do that together and so what I have done if you leave here today if you're willing to jump on board with me with this and I hope you will there is at the welcome desk out there there is a a sheet that has a list of all of Psalm 119 divided into four verse sections and what I'm asking you to do is to pick up or to commit to learning just four of those verses and sign your name to it give me a contact uh, phone number or email or something there with you as well so that I can contact you later because here's what we're going to do on February 3rd it is my goal for us as a church to be able probably by video because I can't get all of you here on the same day to do that uh, but we're going to record you saying those verses or your family or your kids or whatever you decide to do that um, we're going to get that and we're going to show that on February 3rd and we're as a church going to quote um, and there will not be cue cards behind the camera I promise okay you got to quote it got to do it right um, and so we're going to show that on February 3rd as a way of saying hey what a cool thing it is when all of us get together and we begin to do the process of what Psalm 19 is talking about just hiding God's word learning it and saying I can do this because uh, what's the number one well, there's lots of excuses that come up. Hey, memorize a verse. I can't, right? We've all said that, right? I've done it. I said it. Uh, I can't do that. It's too much time. I, don't, I, don't, I can't do that. It's just not my thing, right? I'm more of a reader than a memorizer, right? Maybe that's your excuse. You can find all kinds of excuses not to do something like this. But I, I was convicted last night 
Yesterday, I did something with about an hour and a half of my day that if I ever stand, when I stand before God, I will never say to God, God, I can't do that. I don't have time to do that because I want to show you this last picture. This is me scraping the snow off of my satellite dish with the little tool that we built there. I had three different tools, actually. I had somebody else, somebody's golf ball retriever that's got the little hole I was scraping off with that. Couldn't get it all. So my neighbor watched all this unfolding as he was smoking something in his smoker. And he said, hey, I got a brush and I got a pole. And so we duct taped it on there. And I spent an hour and a half of my day yesterday trying to scrape the snow off of my satellite dish so I could watch a football game, okay? And so that... If I ever stand before you and say, you know what, spiritually, I just can't do it, you just need to remind me of that. Because I just proved that I have the time, and I can put the effort into something that I really want to do, right? If I want to watch that football game, I will risk arm, limb, life, and death to get the stupid satellite dish scraped off so I can watch the football game, right? So there are things about priorities, right? Going back to where we started, God, show me the things that really matter, and maybe the more worthless things, show me those things too. Help me to see differently. And so we can do this. And so I'm excited for it, and I'm, I hope that you'll commit to it as well. And so what I want you to do is maybe as a family or even as an individual, maybe get together with a friend. Maybe you'll do two verses. A friend will do two verses. Maybe you get a whole—I got, got seven kids, five kids. What, I got a bunch of kids. And so it's taken care of, right? It'll be easier if each one will do a verse, right? It's just a whole herd of them. So it shouldn't be that hard for us to do this if we'll all commit to doing just a little bit of it, okay? So when you grab, when you sign your name, I also have put envelopes out there that have a corresponding verse. Like I committed to do Psalm 119 verses 1 through 4 for me. And so there's an envelope that says Psalm 119 verses 1 through 4 on the inside of that. I have even printed it for you. And I would like for you to use this translation. It's the Holman Standard, or Christian Standard Bible. Not one way, I've read a lot before, but I like the way it flowed, and I think it fits well. So go with that if you would. I don't need a King James Version stuck in the middle of it, if you wouldn't mind, at least for this process, okay? Because that'll seem out of place. So if you'll commit to that, I would love it. And I think it'll be a really fun day as we all watch that unfold, as we all commit to learning God's Word together and doing that, okay? You got a deal? Give me a thumbs up. That's okay. Okay. A few of you. Okay, very good. All right, a few of you committed. I'm good with that. All right, we're good with that. And we'll keep pushing you and encouraging you in that in the week to come. All right. And so what do, we leave, what do we leave with all this? Again, it's just the heart. Sometimes I go to read my Bible, and I've been reading my Bible for a long, long time, right? Longer than I've, as long as I've been alive, this has been a part of my life. And sometimes it can become dry. It can become just routine. But I love a passage like Psalm 119 because it breathes life back into why you're doing that. It's because the creator of the universe has spoken. He's got given things he wants you to know about him, about yourself, about life, and he's trying to speak. And I don't want to be a part of the people who live as if he hasn't spoken, just feeling my way and figuring it out. I need wisdom and light and guidance and help and comfort and all the things that God can give as we seek after him. And so may it breathe life back into our reading of his word. All right, let's pray together and we will sing our closing song here a second.